gives uh, an explanation of this commandment as follows. Lord's Day 43, what is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, some time ago when I prepared this sermon for my own congregation in Alder Grove, I did some research about human communication, and I found out to my amazement that the average woman speaks 20,000 words per day, while the average man, no surprise, brothers, the average man speaks about 7,000 words per day. It's almost triple the amount uh, on the part of ladies. I did a bit more digging because that sounded pretty incredible and found that actually the science is not completely settled in this regard. So it, it seems like the range for women is anywhere from about 7,000 to 20,000, while for men, it's anywhere from 1,000 to 7,000. So that's quite a big difference. And then I did a little bit of calculating, and I found out that taking these numbers, an average woman speaks in the course of her life between 135 million and 370 million words. Now, when I first saw that, I thought, well, that's actually kind of low. It seems like some people I know talk a lot more than that. But still, those are a lot of words. 135 million to 370 for a woman, whereas a man will speak a paltry 41 million uh, and more words in the course of his life. Just think about the cumulative power of all those words that you will speak from the time you learn to speak when you're when you're older so, to the end of your life. All those words that you speak have so much potential for being good and constructive and life-affirming, encouraging, helping, nourishing, fruitful. Just imagine if all of your words were characterized by truth and by love and by goodness. What a blessing all those millions of words that you will utter would be to your community, to your family, your church, and your place of work. It's pretty humbling to think about how every word we speak is somehow a reflection of who we are. Who we are as sinners in Adam. Who we are as saints in Christ. During our lives, we have literally millions of opportunities to use our words fruitfully. The book of Proverbs says quite often that when we use our words well, they are like a tree of life to other people. What a powerful metaphor that is, a tree of life. We know, we know what that is. We, we read about the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, 
And the book of Proverbs says that when you use your words in a godly fashion, they're like a tree of life. They bring life and goodness to everyone in your environment. Well, today in the ninth commandment, God's word puts our words under scrutiny. The scripture we read and the confessional passage we read from the catechism, they, they want us to pause and reflect very deeply about the kind of language that we use. But I want to say this afternoon that the Ninth Commandment is not only about speaking, it's also about listening. We have to be Christian in how we speak, and we also have to be Christian in how we hear, because we're not only going to speak hundreds of millions of words in our life, potentially, we're also going to hear hundreds of millions of words, potentially. They will enter our our mind through our ears, and they will become part of who we are, and they will have an impact upon us for good or for ill. And so the Ninth Commandment says, be careful about the words you speak, and be careful also about the words you hear. You want to speak words that are true, and you want to hear words that are true, and you want to avoid as much as possible the influence of words that are not true. I wonder if we realize how vulnerable we are as human beings to false witness. We're vulnerable to bringing a false witness, but we're also vulnerable to hearing a false witness through gossip, uh, through inaccurate, heavily biased reporting, through one-sided opinion pieces in the newspapers and magazines we read, through propaganda emanating from various governments of the world. And so this afternoon we want to pause, we want to think about the words we speak and the words we hear, and especially we want to acknowledge in this sermon that Jesus is sovereign over our words, the ones we speak and the ones we hear. Jesus is the one who gives us this incredible gift of speech, and Jesus is the Lord of all. It's one of the basic confessions of a Christian. Jesus Christ is the Lord, and that means he's the master, he's the king, he's the Lord of of my body, my soul, my mind, he's the Lord of my mouth, and he's the Lord of my ears. And so may God give us what we need to reflect on the lordship of Jesus This afternoon we will see particularly what the Ninth Commandment reveals about God, and then secondly, what it reveals about our sin, and thirdly, what it reveals about our redemption. So first, what does the Ninth Commandment reveal about God when it says, you shall not bear false witness? Well, it's a good thing to remind ourselves this afternoon, congregation, that every commandment is in some way a reflection of God. Uh, It would be Uh, a good topic for a talk to show how every single commandment is not arbitrary. It's not like God just made up a bunch of rules arbitrarily, but all the commandments flow from the very character of God. It's because who God is that he gives us these commands. So if we think of the sixth commandment, um, the sixth commandment says that we should protect and honor the gift of life. Well, that is because God is the God of life who protects and honors life. The seventh commandment says that we should be faithful in our marriages. Well, that's because God is faithful in his covenant marriage with his people. And so when we come to the ninth commandment, we can say that the ninth commandment is 
a reflection also of who God is. And that's obvious when we think about the kind of words that God speaks. To learn about our words, we need to first hear what the Bible says about God's words. What kind of words does God speak? Well, God speaks, we confess, in two ways. He speaks in creation, first of all. He speaks in the realm of all created things. He speaks in creation and providence. And he speaks in in his word, which we call scripture. So let's think about how God speaks in creation, first of all. Creation, we read in Genesis chapter 1, comes about by the word of God. God speaks and light comes. God speaks and there's a firmament. God speaks and land and sea are divided. God speaks and there are plants and shrubs. God speaks and there are birds and fish and whales. God speaks and there are animals. God speaks and there is a man and there is a woman. So creation comes about through the speaking of God. And because God is a God of truth, he does not lie, there's no deceitfulness in any of his words, The creation in which you live is one you can trust. You can trust creation. Maybe sounds like a strange thing to say, but you can trust, for example, that spring is starting today. Something happened astronomically today that helps us understand the passage of time, and it happens every year in a very predictable way. We know when spring is coming long before it comes because it happens the same way every year. So creation, even in in things like the, the, the seasons, teaches us to trust the word of God because creation flows forth from the word of God and creation is structured by and ordered through that same word of God. And so it is with, with everything in creation. When I was a boy, I was fascinated by tide tables and I would peruse them in the Vancouver sun. And I was always amazed that that the people who made those tide tables could, could know many, many, many years in advance exactly when it will be high tide at Crescent Beach. Isn't that amazing, boys and girls? Scientists can tell you exactly when it will be high tide on January the 13th, 2045, if they wanted to. They could figure it out and tell you. Because God's creation is reliable and steady and faithful. Uh, because God is steady and reliable and faithful. We can count on the world in which we live to be real and faithful. Beyond creation, there is the realm of salvation. And in saving us, just as in creating us, God acts through his word. He sends his word to become flesh. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh. And the word lived and dwelt among us. That same word through which God had created the universe that same word through which he structures and orders the universe, that word became flesh and lived and dwelt among us. John 1, verse 14. And because God's word is from God, we don't have to worry about whether or not his word is reliable. Jesus came as our chief prophet and teacher. Jesus spoke The apostles preserved his words. The apostles preserved the whole doctrine of salvation proclaimed by Jesus. And because these words are from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, 
we can trust these words. And that's a beautiful thing, you know, because whenever you read any book other than this book, you have to be super on guard. And I really mean that. You have to be super on guard when you read any book authored by a sinner. You have to always be testing and thinking it through and challenging internally the presuppositions of this book, uh, checking the logic of the author, analyzing the whole flow of thought. And you can never just fully, completely trust that it's going to absolutely be 100% good. And even when you listen to a sermon, because sermons come from flawed servants of the word, you, you don't have to be always on guard, so to speak, but you have to be like the Bereans who, who test the scriptures or test what they are hearing from the Apostle Paul according to the standard of the scriptures to see whether what Paul was saying was really according to the scriptures. So even here in church, you have to be kind of on guard. You have to be aware that it might not always be perfect. It might not always be said the best way. And that the, the pastors that you hear from week to week, they, they can err. They can sometimes not get it 100%. And it's okay to go to them and say, you know, I was, I was just wondering about your exegesis of your sermon on Sunday. Could you share with me a bit more how you came to those conclusions? But when you read this book, how beautiful it is that you can just relax and you can be at rest and you can be at peace and you don't have to be thinking it through all the time. Is this true? Is this, is this real? Can I, can I trust this to be objectively real? No, because you know the God from whom this scripture comes is the God of truth who does not lie in whose mouth, as one of the prophets says, there is no deceit in our mouths. There's actually always some measure of deceit. But with God, there is no deceit in the words which he speaks. His promises are not empty promises like our promises sometimes are. Sometimes we say, I promise, when we don't really mean it, or we don't mean it to the fullest extent. But when God makes a promise, then God stands behind that promise. Even if you thought it wasn't important anymore and you've forgotten all about it because you were baptized 40 years ago and you haven't thought about your baptism since you were 20 and it doesn't mean anything to you, you say. I meet people like that sometimes. Well, God says, well, that's too bad. I still stand behind my promise. What I said at the baptismal font, I still stand behind that and, and you should take me at my word. I promise to be your father. I promise to forgive your sins. I promise to sanctify your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you believe me? My words are true words. Psalm 12 says, The words of the Lord are pure words like silver, refined in the furnace on the ground, purified seven times. When I teach catechism in, in my own congregation, I, I sometimes take along a silver maple that I own from the Canadian Mint in Winnipeg. And it says on there, 99.99% pure. And I asked the kids, is that good enough for you? If the Bible was 99.99% pure, would that be good enough for you? And they all say, no, no, it has to be 100% pure because otherwise you'd never know what to trust and what not to trust. And I say exactly, when it comes to God, his words are 100% pure, like silver, perfectly 
refined. Just like Psalm 12 praises God's truthfulness, uh, so does uh, another scripture in Titus chapter 1. Paul begins his letter in Titus in verse 2 of chapter 1, speaking about the hope of eternal life. And then he adds, which God, who never lies, promised ages ago. And for all these reasons, the Bible frequently refers to God as a faithful witness. So God says in the ninth commandment, be a faithful witness. Well, God says that because he is. He's the ultimate faithful witness who always says it like it is, who says the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So you go through the Bible. This is God's witness to himself. It's God's witness to your sin. It's God's witness to your salvation. It's God's witness to your future. And God gives in this book the whole truth that you need to know and upon which you can rely forever. Several occasions the Lord Jesus Christ is described in the scriptures as the faithful witness. For example, in Revelation 1, which sometimes is used at the beginning of a Christian worship service, we read, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Why does Jesus want you to be a faithful witness? Because he wants you to reflect who he is. He's a faithful witness. He speaks the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he wants you to be like him, molded to be like him through the power of his word and spirit. You see, even though Jesus was resisted by many, even though many people mocked him, persecuted him, in the end killed him, he never changed his message to suit people. He never said, well, I guess people uh, um, aren't receiving this, so you know, I'll just give them a little bit different product and maybe they'll appreciate that better. He didn't tailor his message for his audience, as many tried to do, but he just gave them the straight goods, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He is the faithful witness. So the Father never lies. Jesus is the faithful witness. And then we have also the third person of the Trinity, who remarkably is frequently described, especially in the Gospel of John, as the Spirit of Truth. If you read John 14, 15, and 16, repeatedly we read there of the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. The Spirit who dwells within you. The Spirit who makes the whole church his temple. He is the Spirit of Truth. And John 14, 15, and 16 speaks about the Spirit as a witness. He bears witness to you concerning God and your salvation. So there we have it. Three divine persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, each one of them characterized by utmost devotion to truth. And therefore, the triune God speaks to you in the law and says, don't bear false witness, because that contradicts God. It contradicts the universe. It contradicts everything you are called to be as a child of God. Having seen what the ninth commandment reveals about God, let's go on to see what it reveals about sin. Well, it's no surprise since God is the God of truth, that God hates all deceitfulness. And I really want to emphasize that, that God hates that unreal world of lies. 
And God cannot make us peace with that unreal world of lies. That unreal world of lies, that's the world inhabited by the devil, which is why he is called in the Bible, not a true witness, not a faithful witness. What is the devil called? He's called a deceiver. He's called a deceiver of the whole world. Jesus said in John 8, verse 44, that the devil is a liar and he's the father of all lies. So when it comes to God, Every word of God is like pure as silver, seven times refined. When it comes to Satan, every word he speaks is like a beautiful cup of tea with a little bit of arsenic in it. It'll kill you when you believe it. When you drink in those words that emanate from the realm of the deceiver, then you will die. Satan specializes in deception and deceitfulness. And he's also very clever. He knows better than to give you only lies, because that would be too obvious. So he gives you some truth to make it look convincing. And then he mingles in deceitfulness, just like that cup of tea, such a good cup of tea. But it's got arsenic in it. You shouldn't drink it. And so the same with Satan. He gives you words. Some of them sound pretty good. For example, if a cult member comes to your door and wants to have a conversation with you, they say many things that sound actually pretty good. They read a verse from the Bible, and they give you a pious talk, but they're mixing in all along the arsenic of the devil, the deceitfulness of the devil. They don't bear a faithful and true witness to the whole word of God. But it's not just the devil. It's also the world which he inhabits. 1 John 5, verse 19, the apostle writes, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What a tragic sentence. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And you know what that means? Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, you are going to hear in the course of your life millions upon millions, if not billions, of words that are false. That's what you're going to hear. Sometimes you're going to hear it in people you love even. You'll hear false words from people in the church, perhaps. You'll hear false words at work. You'll hear false words at university. You'll hear false words when you go traveling and meet other people. You'll hear false words when you turn on your TV. Remember the, the last president of the United States? He... he he promoted the term, used it a lot himself, fake news. Maybe he contributed to fake news as well. But he popularized the term fake news. Whether you like that term or not, it doesn't matter. But the truth is that because the whole world lies in the evil one, and that includes the world of academia, the world of the media, the world of the global elites who in many ways are shaping our culture, that entire world lies in the evil one. And therefore, you have to be on guard. You have to discern. You have to be careful not to just believe everybody and everything, but you must test and try to figure out the difference between truth and lies. One writer that I consulted recently um, a reform man from California named Peter Jones. He was writing about 
the media today, and this is one of his sentences. He says, many news operations have become mere slander factories with no standards, no editorial control, no integrity, and no conscience when proven wrong about what they declared to be true. Now, without wanting to get into too many specific examples, let me, let me just mention one that just been on the news the last couple of days. The laptop of Hunter Biden. Remember the story about Hunter Biden's laptop, which supposedly contained all kinds of stories of illicit activities and evidence of criminal behavior engaged in by the son of the current president in the Ukraine. And when this laptop came to light during the last presidential election, the entire establishment media absolutely demonized this as nothing but Russian disinformation. Well, last week, guess what? The New York Times came out and said, it's all real, it's true. This really is Hunter Biden's laptop, and it is incriminating. But they suppressed that for the last three years, and they have demonized um, everyone who said something different. That shows you a little bit about how you have to be careful. Who do you listen to? And don't, don't give your heart in trust to those who are in the world, of the world, and controlled by the spirit of the world, which is not the spirit of Jesus, the true witness, but is the spirit of the great deceiver. So there's fake news, and you have to be alert. And I'm not here to give you a class in media savviness, but... You can, you can help yourself by making sure you read different angles on a story. Try to get different perspectives because it's in the multiplicity of perspectives that usually you begin to see some truth condensing for you that you can take to be real. But beyond fake news, there are fake statements made by people in the political realm. And we notice that particularly in election cycles when we're confronted by many politicians wanting our vote, and they are ready to promise us virtually anything. But if you're older than, say, 30, then you've been through a few election cycles, and you know that most of what they promise never really comes to fruition, and, and they didn't really mean it anyway. And that's not just for the governing party, the liberals. It's also for other parties that say one thing during an election campaign, and as soon as it's over, then the promises are forgotten. And you know what that does? It erodes. It, it, it corrodes trust. And when trust in your political leaders and your political institutions is eroded, like acid eroding metal, that's a very dangerous situation. If there's no sense of confidence in what political leaders say, then you have a cynical public and a cynical public is an ungovernable public, actually, ultimately. And so we have to be praying for truth in the political realm as in the realm of media. I was going to say one more thing about the media. I would say this is uh, perhaps, perhaps for some young people. This is something to think about. What do we need in the world? We need Christian journalists. Christian journalists who are filled with the spirit of truth, and they want to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth about current affairs. Like, wouldn't you love to have a Christian you know and trust on the ground in Kiev 
or in, or in the eastern Ukraine and telling you exactly what's happening there from their own perception and observation. Wouldn't that be awesome to have a Christian journalist there? Someone to trust? Maybe young people, some of you should think about a calling in journalism. The world needs Christian journalists. Beyond the public realm, of course, there is also uh, private deceitfulness. And again, we, we, we can't give all, all the examples this afternoon, but just a few. Um, sometimes we exaggerate. And, and sometimes that's okay, because if you're telling a joke and you're just exaggerating for a joke, or you're just poking fun at somebody a little bit and you exaggerate, uh, you shouldn't be too legalistic about that. But, but oftentimes we exaggerate to glorify ourselves. We tell just a little bit of a fib about ourselves and our accomplishments. And Jesus says, that's not, that's a no-no. You should tell the truth about who you are, about what you do. Don't, don't glorify yourself. Don't exaggerate your accomplishments. Don't inflate who you are. There's also the temptation of gossip. And we might as well admit that we like it. We like gossip. Anybody here say they absolutely don't like it? Well, then you have to deal with Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, or chapter 18, verse 3 says that the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts, like a nice piece of strawberry pie after church with whipped cream. That's what gossip is like to us. It goes down really well. We, it tastes good. It's real. Gossip is real. And it's very difficult, actually, to completely stop it in your own heart, your own mouth, and in the hearts and mouths of others. Now, you might say, well, we've heard this all before, and I think that's true. Probably 12 months ago, 15 months ago, you heard the sermon on Lord's Day 43. I don't know who the preacher was that day. I, I don't know if there's a way of knowing, but I'm pretty sure he warned about gossip when you heard your last sermon on Lord's Day 43. And so the question is only this. Did you listen? And did it make any difference? Did you resolve at that moment, I need to stop this. I need to stop saying this negative stuff about other people. I need to stop passing on negative information. So just ask yourself the question, do you think you've gossiped less since your last sermon on Lord's Day 43? And in the next year, till your next sermon on Lord's Day 43, do you think you're going to be gossiping less than you currently do? I'm not judging anyone particularly. I'm just talking about the sins to which we are all prone. And then the Catechism also mentions this uh, sin of judging people rashly. That's one I'd like to pause on for a moment. That means forming an opinion about people on incomplete information. And I think we do that all the time. We haven't heard the whole story. We haven't given a person a chance to fill out the story, complete the story, but we've already made a judgment. And quite often the judgment is pretty harsh. A very important principle for the church, just like for the law, is people are innocent until proven guilty. That's how judges have to deal with you when you're in a court. And that's how you should deal with each other. Just assume the best. Assume that people are innocent unless proven guilty. Um, 
Proverbs 18 says, In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. That's a different translation on the ESV, but it captures it very well. So you go to court, if you've ever gone to court and watched a serious uh, case go forward, you hear the prosecution, and it seems like inevitable, like a conviction is inevitable. But then along comes the defense, and the defense speaks for the accused and gives a whole different picture of what actually transpired. And you think, oh, yeah, now I don't know. I thought it was so clear, but now I, I don't know anymore. And, you know, that's the same in human life as well. In normal human life, we, we hear a story, and we, we just believe it. And the Bible says be very careful to do that. Be very careful to hear a bad story about someone because that someone deserves the right or has the right to speak for himself or herself. There's always another side to the story. Well, we've seen then what the, what the Ninth Commandment shows us about God. We've seen what it shows us about our own sinful hearts. And I, I want to ask, do you feel convicted? You don't have to tell me, but do you feel convicted by this commandment? Or do you think this is only for, like, spiritual beginners, that actually you are beyond a need for hearing this kind of a message? Well, you know what the worst kind of sin against the Ninth Commandment is? It's when you lie about yourself. That's the worst kind. And Christian people sometimes do this very effectively. They believe nice stories about themselves, and they refuse to bear true witness about what is in their own hearts. People tell themselves lies about their own lives. They don't want to face the reality of what's inside. So they just paint a facade, a nice picture of what they're like. They pretend to virtue which they don't have. They adhere to a fiction about themselves. They believe that they are people of spiritual depth when in fact they're profoundly shallow. They believe they're people who understand grace when in fact they're living legalistically. It's really easy to believe lies about yourself because the truth is very, very painful. It's very, very painful to tell people, including yourself, that you are by nature a liar and that by nature your words are not very reliable that your words contain incredible levels of deceit it takes a special work of the spirit to smash your pride and bring you to that place where you say I have sinned greatly also against this command of God and I am needing redemption Well, this, la this last point, therefore, is very important for us. What does the Ninth Commandment reveal about redemption? Christ died because of the many lies of the world. He died because Eve embraced the lie of the devil. He died because you believed the lies of the one who is the father of all lies, the devil. Jesus died because we are all born with a desire to create our own false reality. 
instead of living in the true reality of God. Jesus died because you, congregation, have twisted the truth. He died because his Father, the God of all truth, could not make his peace with your lies. But God stood against all of your lies with an eternal hatred because they contradict who he is as the Holy One, who is the God of truth. But Jesus didn't only die, Jesus also was raised from the dead. And you know what that was? That was God's way of saying about his only begotten son, people of the world, everything Jesus said was 100% true. You mocked him, you brought false witnesses against him, you tried to catch him in contradictions, you crucified him on the basis of a false witness, but I have raised him from the dead and I am vindicating him and I am verifying through this act of raising him that Jesus Christ is true. He's a true and faithful witness. And every word that he said about God, every word that he said about sin, every word he said about salvation is true. Listen to him as the true and faithful witness. And today, brothers and sisters, as we turn our lives to Christ, as we receive his faithful witness in Holy Scripture, and as the spirit of truth dwells within our hearts, we are transformed. And we learn to be like Christ. We learn to speak the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You see, when you are connected to Jesus Christ, the ultimate reality of the universe, then what happens to you is you become real yourself. And all the baloney and all the distortion that used to be part of your identity, the Holy Spirit blows it all out of you and replaces it with this realness, this authenticity. And people will see that in you more and more that when you speak, they can trust your words because the spirit of truth is within you. That's very liberating for people. I know a man who was converted a few years ago, and he talked about how liberating it was after many years of what he called fakery, after many years of faking his way through life and pretending and deceiving and lying and cheating, how wonderful it was to live transparently and openly before his wife and his children, whom he had deceived in many ways himself. He said, I, I became a Christian, and it felt like for the first time in my life, I was living in the real world. And that was a true, beautiful description of conversion, because he was living in the unreal world of sin and deception, and now he was living in the real world of the God of truth. And so that is the redemption promised to you in the gospel. Grace for forgiveness, grace for change, so that you may become more and more the image of Christ and speak like Christ words of truth. Uh, Jordan Peterson, a well-known Canadian um, psychologist and philosopher in one of his books, and I'm not, I'm not uh, pointing you to him as an author that you need to read, but this sentence really struck me. He said, every day you have a choice to move the world closer to hell or to heaven. And if you speak lies, he said, 
then you are moving the world closer to hell. But if you speak truth, then you are moving the world closer to heaven, because heaven is where dwells the God of all truth. And so, what choice do you make? Amen. Let us sing in response to this um, message from the Psalms. Is it possible? Sorry, is it possible to put up stanza three? Because we were meant to sing stanzas one and three. I'm sorry if I put one and two. But stanza three fits with this. <clears throat> 